Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Today we have Brian Henniger on the podcast. He plays college golf at USC, turned pro in 1987. Then went out to the Ben Hogan Tour, where he won three times. Eventually got to the PGA Tour. He won twice at Annadale Golf Club in Madison, Mississippi, which is now known as the Sanderson Farms Championship in 1994-99. Played several years on the PGA Tour, but uh, injuries hampered him a little bit. He turned 50. Played a few times out there, but uh, decided to get into teaching. And he did even a little bit of work with the Golf Channel, and I did some shows with him. Now he's full-time teaching back home in Oregon uh, at the golf farm. And when he's not out hunting a big elk or a mule deer, he's teaching some of the best young kids in Oregon and on the West Coast. And let's see if we can get Brian on the uh, on the phone. Brian, I appreciate you spending some time with us. And uh, I know you're busy, but uh, how's things going in Oregon? I know you've been busy teaching a lot lately. Yeah, so after, you know, I, I played the Champions Tour for five years, but I didn't really have great status. So I knew that there, there was going to be a time when I kind of had to make a choice on, you know, am I going to battle Monday qualifiers and go back to tour schools and things like that, or am I going to kind of follow my other passion, which is mentoring and coaching people with golf. And so I started a, uh, a business called uh, The Golf Farm, which is an indoor uh, facility in, in Portland, Oregon, and I'm having a blast. It's been about a year and a half, so that's what I'm doing currently, trying well, to get back. That's a great thing. I mean, we'll get into that instruction, but uh, we, we've, we've know, I know your background, but a lot of people don't, but you had a tennis background, uh, but your dad got you started in golf kind of late in life, didn't he? he? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad was, he played, it's kind of funny, my dad had great hand-eye coordination. He wasn't as athletic as I was, and he'd tell you that on the phone, because I had I played all these multiple sports, so I had speed, and but I got his gift of having great hand-eye coordination, and he played number one back in the day at Oregon on the tennis team, but he really loved golf. I, as I was developing as an athlete, he spent a lot of time at the golf course, and in the summer times, I'd go over and caddy, and then Dad would take me over to the golf course, show me how to kind of hold the club, and I, I was pretty natural at golf, really, and I started probably when I was eight or nine, but I didn't play very much, so I started developing my passion with tennis, and I spent a lot of time trying to become a really good tennis player, and like the junior circuits, I played the tennis circuit. And there came a time when I was a senior in high school where I'd been burnt, I got burned out on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes with the tennis scene, the parents and everything else, and I, I wanted to challenge myself somewhere else. And golf was maybe another route that I could take, maybe not playing college or anything, but it'd be fun to play as a senior on the golf team, which I did. But the notes to everybody that was, you know, like contradicting my approach and my decision to play golf, uh, they were like, God, you could go play tennis in college, those kind of things. Um, I proved them wrong, and I won the state tournament here, which was – you know, as I look back, I was not good enough to, to have deserved that, but I was a competitor, and I had a lot of guts, and I had a lot of um, desire to compete at a high level and play well. So I walked on my college golf team. Did you really? That's that, and, and, and I'm going to bounce back to something you said about multiple sports and burnout. Yeah. How important is yeah. it for kids to play multiple sports? Because a lot of them kind of like – stick with one sport, and they do. They burn out. And it could happen in golf because I see that a lot, that parents go, we're just going to play golf. We're not going to play other sports. How is important to, How important is it to play those other sports? Well, I think it's vital. I, I know that, you know, I, I've got the privilege of, of um, coaching a lot of talented young kids here in the state of Oregon, including 
college kids too. And the college kids that have played multiple sports seem to have more speed, have more athleticism, have more like IQ for, you know, that precision down there at the bottom. And um, so I emphasize it with the parents and the kids that kind of seem to specialize in one thing don't seem to be as athletic, develop slower, don't have the proprioceptors that are, are needed because they don't have the hand-eye coordination or the disassociation. They can't feel things as well as, as a really good athlete. But more so, and you're, you're in this business as well, is powers is a imperative. And the kids that have played football or basketball or baseball or something else, they seem to have more pop. Mm. They have more force. And I see that instantly. So the kids, I still, I have one that one of the best kids I coach. He's he's gonna he still wants to play football. He's a senior, and I'm like, go for it, buddy. Like the short, and he's really really good. But through these multiple sports that he's played, he's the most dynamic kid I've I've got coming through the golf farm. So back to your question, I but, think it's it's really really important that we have balance, and the kids are learning. And at some point, you know, when they're in high school or something, and they go, Dad, Mom, this is where I want to focus on. I think that's probably appropriate time, but not when they're 10, 11, 12, 13. Because some parents would say, I'm afraid he's going to get hurt. Uh, and that's a decision, especially in football. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, that's something I think they they, they talk about there. But you, you mentioned going to USC. What was that experience like for you? I mean, you like you said, you were a tennis player. and <laughs> Hey, I'm going to play golf. And, and I think it's cool because the whole idea of this podcast and the book, Only One Shot, uh, was about how elite players are basically made, and and obviously you said some things that were true. You know, you wanted to win, that will to win, that gut, that work hard. Uh, what yeah. was it like at USC for you? Oh my God, I was I was completely like I remember when my parents you know dropped me off that day. I was so I was homesick instantly. I mean, I just I enjoyed home. I loved the and I embraced the security that my parents kind of gave me and. That was a big step, and I came from a little small in, in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, where the University of Oregon is, to this big, big space with a lot of people, um, and I didn't really know anybody, and a couple of golf coaches that I really was unfamiliar with, And but they said, you know, you've got the opportunity to walk on. Um, the assistant coach there, Randy Lyon, who has now passed, but he, he spent uh, 10, 15 years at USC and then was the head coach at ASU for almost 20 years, Randy just took me under his wing and he said, you know what? He, he, he convinced Ron Rhodes at the time that was the head um, golf coach to keep me around. And I was not good enough to be on that team. There was three or four All-Americans. These guys hit the golf ball like you do. And I hadn't seen it before. So I was like, wow, how do I get that good? Well, as a freshman at USC, and I actually needed things, extracurriculars, things outside of school, um, he got me the opportunity to take the range at Wilshire Country Club twice a week. Wow. And this, wow. Is, a true, this is a true story because I was like, you know, in some ways I was a little bit embarrassed to be even be on the team because I had a long way to go to get that good. He brought that opportunity to me. So I would go out there twice a week, usually in the evening. It would be, and in the fall especially, but, you know, it would get dark. But that range picker had lights on it. And I'd go out there and nobody knew I was, you know, I just had to pick up the range and get in my car and drive back to school. I would turn those range picker lights on and hit golf balls for hours out there. Wow. As I was picking up the boat. And that was really like, that was kind of a turning point. But also I had a resource and Randy really provided me the opportunity to come out on weekends. He lived out in Westlake. You've been out there before at Sherwood. We, we, we practiced at North Ranch Country Club, but I took every opportunity, every weekend that I was, he was available to go out there and and hit balls, play golf, learn how to 
be a better player. And we all need that kind of mentorship or somebody that gives us an opportunity. And Randy Lyon was that person. That is an awesome story because, I mean, I've talked to VJ Trolio, who we both know has been on a lot of the podcasts, and he's the reason we're doing it. Yeah. He picked up pine cones. Yeah. I mean, for a nickel pine cone, I kind of laughed. He goes, no, I wanted to get hit a place to hit balls and practice. I would pick the range, and the pro had to find me something to do. And it's just, you'll do whatever. There was a young lady in Mississippi that collected cans and recycled them so she could pay for her entry fees. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's just cool stories that you just don't hear. Everybody just thinks everybody gets on the tour and wins tournaments and it's an easy road, but yours wasn't like that. And that's why I wanted you on this because I know you're just your knowledge and that's the cool part of this. The kids listening, the parents listening, and it's that desire to want to really be good and be great. Uh, and you'll do whatever it takes to do that and, and balance school and all those things. And that, I, that's a really cool story. And I'm glad you told us cause I, I really didn't even know that, but you said that, well, the, Go ahead. Being able to do that, is that when you maybe decided to turn pro? When did you think about turning pro? Because, I mean, you said you walked on and well, everything. No, I didn't. I didn't I, believe me, I mean, to this day, I'm, I try to live my life in the process. So it wasn't like I had this huge goal or this outreach thing that was, like, going to be hard to get there. No, I just wanted to get better every day. And I wish Randy was here. I wish he was on this podcast with us because he would tell you how hard I worked. And how much I enjoyed the process, though, and how much I enjoyed exploring and discovering new things like, oh, gosh, that could be it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I felt something different there. And But it was it was really back to the Ben Hogan thing. I really dug it out of the dirt, and I just I slowly got better and better and better. And I, my trajectory was pretty steep. So when it came to the professional golf scene, I realized that the, my second year as a sophomore, I started to play in the fall a little bit. And then I got to play in the um, – national championship at San Joaquin Country Club in Fresno. And then from there, I got to play my last two seasons. I was an All-American. Honorable mention, but I still consider myself an All-American. You were. Because I was still, yep, I was still a pretty good player. And then after that, I didn't really know what to do. Nobody kind of said, hey, th- these are the instructions for trying to get on the PGA Tour. No, I didn't know anything. I went to Europe, tried to go through the qualifying school there. Um, made it through the first stage, missed it in Spain, and the second stage came back. Um, my story's a good one. And then I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And one of my buddies, John Flannery, who played the tour for a couple years, mm-hmm. he had been working at La Quinta Hotel in the bag room. And he said, you know what? This might be a great opportunity for you, Brian, because you, like, you can play in practice. The courses are here opposite your shift but you'll have kind of a home base and i think you know in the end they might take care of you and consider you want to like you know a a player out of their club or something so i worked there for a season and i did the same thing it was like i was i was on that range picker and i was going to get better so i worked hard um and the tips kind of fed my lifestyle it would pay for the rent my food and things like that that we got and i played those golf course and i got good i mean i got I got better and then I started playing mini tour golf and I was really good at it. Actually I could, I could make, you know, I was broke, but I could make a little, make a check for five grand here. I'd hit a, you know, jackpot and make 20 grand. And you know, that would go away at some point, but I was pretty good at it. And then I, I finally got through tour school far enough to get myself on the Ben Hogan tour. And ultimately that's where I got my card from. And you mentioned Ben Hogan, the Ben Hogan tour. You won three times on the Ben Hogan tour. I love this yeah. process because it's about perseverance and it's about a determination by doggone it. I'm going to make it. Uh, but what were those years on the Hogan tour? Like, what did you learn playing the, out there? Oh my gosh. I got to play with your brother. Yeah. 
which was one of my favorite people on the planet. Those were some of my fondest memories, and I know I, I, I coached a couple of guys that are you know going through that route, you know what I mean, that were really, mm-hmm. really highly skilled college players, and they struggle with the whole process. Now, with COVID and everything, it is a little dysfunctional, and they're not as organized, and they don't really know where there's going to be a tournament or not be a tournament, um, and the Q school is not, I don't think it's happening this fall, obviously, so... But, but at the same time, I tell them to embrace it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. part, of, part of making the PGA Tour, especially now with all the skill and talent, is you learn from your failures. And you have to go out there and you have to get beat down and see how hungry you are to get back up and go try it again and get a little bit better and think a little bit different. And that little nuance, because as you know, these kids are so good at hitting golf ball. I'll never be able to hit a golf ball like that. I tell them that. But I'm strong enough mentally to figure out how to play the PGA Tour. Sure. But it wasn't because I could hit a golf ball 320 yards in the air and uh, be brilliant iron player. No, that wasn't me. I was just, I was a grinder. I was a perseverer, like you you mentioned. I was like, nothing was going to stop me from trying to excel and get a little bit better and enjoy getting beat down because that's what golf does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lose more and you win. Yeah. Uh, when you oh. look, unless you're Tiger Woods. Uh, yeah. And, and he's just a freak. But, you, you, you get through the Hogan Tour, you get your card, you get that first win at Annadale uh, in my home state yeah. in Madison, Mississippi. Uh, tell us about yeah. that magical week. What was that experience like for you? Well, that was the thing. Again, you know, I was starting to compete pretty well, um, even even as a, a rookie or my second year or something. I kept my card going second year, and then we have all this weather in Mississippi, and I end up in a, you know, they, they cancel the last two rounds. I'm in a playoff with Mike Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Who is, who is, you know, really well too, and is an official out on the Champions Tour. And I beat him in that, that one whole playoff. And, but that gives me the opportunity to go to Augusta. And I find myself in the last group on Sunday in 1995 because of the victory at Annandale that year. I was going to ask and, you, what was that like? That had to be amazing. <laughs> the last group? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Talk like, about puckering up. <laughs> You know, for people that are listening to this podcast, I mean, my, my story is kind of unique because I didn't, I wasn't a prodigy. I wasn't some special junior player that was, you know, destined for the PGA Tour or some, you know, crazy college and amateur career. Mine was different. So, but that being said, through the process, through the development, through the trajectory, I was a pretty confident guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really was. I mean, I was small, but I was tough. And I saw myself in that situation. I didn't. I wasn't afraid of it. However, I didn't have the experience of being there. Now, again, we can go back to my interpretation of how important I think mentors and coaches are. Randy had moved on, so we didn't have. I didn't have that. He wasn't necessarily a skilled technical coach anyways but Mm -hmm. i didn't have that so i just had myself right and i would go crazy when i was playing good but then i would be baffled by like why can't i sustain that Mm -hmm. well that sunday i was so excited i mean like this is where i want to be this is where i see myself being i'm going to be in the last group more often than not right i mean that's why you drove the range picker and totally that's exactly right i mean like i was no different than you or anybody else that's that's why we're doing it. We can't wait to challenge ourselves, whether we win or lose. We, I always was willing to test myself. So I, I, I just didn't play very well on Sunday, but 
Was I nervous? Hell yeah, I was nervous. Did I think I was going to win? Absolutely. That's what I wanted I to hear. Yet. So you thought you were going to win. That's that's a great answer because a lot of times people think, I don't think I'm going to win. I just want to not, you know, uh, screw up and, and shoot 80. You, you thought you could actually win. Oh, I, most definitely. Most definitely. But I didn't have the experience. I didn't really understand what I was up against. And I was up against Jim Gallagher. I was up against Jay Hawes. I was up against Greg. No, I was up against people. But I was kind of oblivious to that. The only person that I kind of recognized, to be honest with you, with you as I look back, was Ben Crenshaw. Mm. I thought I was going to play him, which in the end, maybe I was supposed to just play him. But he outplayed me that day. So congrats, Ben, for winning. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's a great story because I mean you always remember that. I remember the first time I led, the first t- time I played there, and I'm that's when they repaired after the first round. I paired with Lanny Watkins in the last group, and I'm so nervous. I'm thinking, don't be the guy that misses the cut uh, after you lead. <laughs> but I mean, I'm thinking, how can you shoot 67, lead the Masters, and I'll have that going through your brain? But I, I was like you. I didn't have a. My dad was my instructor, uh, and you know he yep. always you know yeah talk you know think positive whatever. I didn't really have that mental coach necessarily or that experience yeah. and and it's even at our level it's amazing how fragile we are or, or we oh. were uh even oh. as professionals one little shot and you're going like okay here we go again so i mean it, it it happens and that's what a great lesson for the kids out there i mean you you said process process i mean you've got to get in there to get the experience or you're never going to learn anything but you did. You top ten. No. It was a great week for you. Uh, it was a great experience, and, and it sounds like you still feel like you know you could still could have won. I think that's a great attitude. Oh, I think yeah, most definitely. Um, but like when we when we talk about the, I'm still in it today. Even mm-hmm. at the golf farm, I still enjoy getting up when it's a little bit slow and getting up and trying to get a little bit better at hitting a golf ball, a little bit better at deciphering my motion with the putting stroke. Um, always a clever practicer. Um, that got me a long ways. I just needed a little bit more support. So I wasn't so ambivalent about, is this right or wrong? Should I be doing this or not? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is this field, can I ride this field for how long? Those kind of things. So I think that's where like some of the coaching now is getting, they're they're just, they keep these guys in a little bit tighter box. You know what I mean? So they don't get too far away from that. You know, because we're vulnerable as golfers. We know it. We know that the pendulum's kind of swinging one way or the other. We start fading it, we fade it too much. So we got to go back to, like, trying to draw it, and then we're zero. And then we overdraw it. And as long as you kind of embrace it, but I couldn't stay in that, that middle ground long enough. I would just go one way or the other too far. Yeah, you were trying to learn so. something, and I, I think that's that happens. I think VJ's the was the same way. He's always trying to learn, and he's to this day. He's still. I'll walk back here, and it's you know six thirty in the morning, and he's trying to figure out how he's going to get better. <laughs> and he's not even playing competition. He's like you teaching <laughs> teaching kids that you know. And but you guys still have it. I I, I think that's great. I kind of gave up on it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just figured I've gotten old here. But I mean, I do. I still love to go out there, and our pro always tease me. Why are you trying out drivers? I said, I yeah. don't know. I'm just trying to find the one that might get me that extra five yards, you know, or <laughs> hit it a little straighter. And and but you mentioned, you know, the the current players in power. Uh, how important is fitness in today's game? And how, what role are you when you're instructing? How much are you putting fitness in to your instruction? I think we definitely like. I, it's. I don't think it's necessarily my responsibility, but it's definitely something that I think is theirs if they want to you know, continue playing at a really high level. I think it's, it's I mean, it's going to pass you by. We've seen Bryson DeChambeau and this 
last five or six months and what he's done to his body and how he's, you know, basically revolutionizing the game with, with power. Good or bad, whether you like it or don't, I think it's something that these kids really have to be part of. Not only that, they swing so I mean, you and I, I mean, we, we, we don't really understand. I mean, like, kids come here and swing eight irons and they go 180 yards. And I'm like, how? Yeah. How do you make – you you have more power than I do, but, like, that's just crazy power. And then they get to sevens and they're almost going to 200, and then they can fly balls 300 yards off the tee. I just – that's not something that I was ever familiar with. I didn't have a lot of head speed. I was pretty efficient at hitting a golf ball, so I could hit it in the center of the face, which helped me. But, but the power is – is really, really a, a, an imperative thing, and they have to develop that speed early. So the kids, we get them with speed sticks and do some exercises and stuff and try to get them to kind of move around on the ground and things like that. So it's important. Um, but there's a fine line there as the kids develop and they're they're trying to get a very uh, efficient and effective golf swing with power. How do you because balance that? Because I know kids are coming to you. They're seeing this bombing gouge, yeah. this strategy, yeah. like, like you said, like or dislike. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of like, we're the only game that goes backwards or wants to stop. I know. And, 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 and hey, these guys have worked. I mean, Br- Bryson's worked hard, uh, like oh. it or dislike it, but he puts the ball. He went from the worst putter on tour to one of the best. Uh, I know. So he's figured it out. But how do you balance that with the kids coming in when they're just growing uh, and they're trying to hit I, it? Well, that's enough. Oh, it's, it's practically impossible. Um, Amy and I have seen a couple of kids this year grow 10 to 12 inches. Wow. You know, and the parents are all baffled. And, you know, he's struggling in his terms. And, like, I have to settle down. It's all going to be fine in the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Both these kids I'm thinking of are, like, really talented and gifted kids and can you imagine growing 10 12 inches in a in a year no. like everything everything's changed so i don't know you know like you know here at the golf farm i probably i battle with parents more than i do the kids i'm like just you know who's this about you know what i mean is mm-hmm. it about your child is it about you um you know that's the thing that i dislike about it so much because i want the kids to enjoy it but i want it to come from them you know their hunger has to be there's not somebody else. Well, that's what Scott Hamilton always tells the parents. You're in the you're in the parent chair. I'm in the teaching chair. Yep. You just sit there and listen right. and, and and take notes. Uh, otherwise, why are you paying me to, to coach? I mean, that's, that's the thing. If you if you think you can do it, then you're wasting your time and money. But it it has to be about the kids. I think that's whether you're coaching college golf, high school golf, doing what you're doing, what VJ's doing. Uh, it, it has to be about the kids. Are there any instructors or not so much method instructors that that you really admire uh, in today's game? BJ Trollio. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Favorite of all time. Yeah. There are some. I, I know one thing with me is I kind of I blend because I did get and I do enjoy information and I love being around BJ Trollio. A lot of these smart guys that have spent their lifetime trying to get better at their craft. I just try to learn from them. But at the end of the day, I kind of balance my own struggle with the game. So I infuse that in them, and I'm like, I'm on them to struggle. I feel like I'm John Wooden sitting on the bench, and I'm like, okay, we did all the practicing. You guys are failing out here, but I'm not going to get up and sub somebody in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you guys fight through this right now, and you're going to figure it out on your own. I think that's one of the one things that, you know, these, these kids have such better golf swings than you and I ever did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to you. It's up to your clever process. I'm going to give you some tools. And now you got to put you got to put the puzzle pieces together. So I, I emphasize that a lot because I know at least in our era, it came from us. It didn't come from some coach. I don't even remember coaches on the range when you and I were playing. No, I mean, you know Dad, I mean? Dad didn't come out there till I was on tour for twelve years. He just came out because he wanted yeah. to visit. He was like uh, he was visiting unless we were really working on something. But you're right; they didn't have them. There was a handful. 
but now there's no. five people with each player. Um, and and, it, and well, it, it's more money and it has changed. I mean, it, it, it has, and there's a lot more information. Uh, there's a lot better instruction probably out there than there was, and there's more instructors. Oh, God, I'm just that. I'm learning from them, too. Thank God it's social media, because I'm like, or I'll just pick up the phone and call them or I'll text them and go, hey, what do you think about from George Gankis to Jeff Smith to mm-hmm. Dana Dolphus? I'm thinking about the West Coast guys that are really like, James Jordan's out here just making little kids just super special kids. Um, but at the same time, I see some of them, you know, like, it's, instruction is hard. Go take a golf lesson and then go try to put it together. I, I, I do that to myself. I'm like, okay, I just ask that guy to put the ball in his, between his elbows and feel like he's got this and that. And then I go try it myself, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That doesn't work. My brain's spinning it. <laughs> yeah, I'm spinning with information. So as long as I try to be applicable to, like, try some of the things that I'm trying to get to other people, and I, I understand the difficulty, I think that's fair. But I think a lot of coaching isn't, isn't doing that. They're just seeing it from a two-dimensional camera, and they're trying to say, Hey, look! You can be more like this or that. So, um, I think my playing experience helps me be a better facilitator of some of this stuff. And also, I don't know, like blend some of the. I know this is hard, kind of thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Some humility in there, and go, "Hey, this is gonna be difficult. I'm right here with you. We're gonna fail together. It's gonna be fine. But in a couple of weeks, I think if we can fight through this little period of time, you're gonna be a better player." What's so, the most satisfying part of teaching? What do you when you really? Is it when you really got somebody to do something you wanted them to do and they're getting success? Yeah, it, it's really when a lot of times when they go, it could be, you know, a few weeks later and they go, now I get what you, why you wanted yeah. me to fight through that. Yeah. And I go, oh, it's so cool. And then it's theirs. It's not a teacher's because if it can be, if it's theirs, it's way more powerful than me poking around at them too much. Yeah. What's, what advice do you have for parents when they're trying to find an instructor? For their um, I would, yeah, I would, for me, it's a relationship thing. So I'd look for somebody that truly is invested and cares about your child. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On a, on a higher level than just giving a golf lesson. That's me. That's me personally, especially if your if your kid has some talent, but I think the personality is huge and that your kid comes back and goes, you know, I love being with, with Brian Henniger. I mm-hmm. mean, I did that was special. That was really fun. And that, he pays attention and he feels like I could get a lot better or he feels like I'm got talent or something like that. Some kind of feedback like that. Yeah. That's what makes VJ. That's what makes VJ so special. It's that same. It's a relationship. Uh, Oh, it's enormous. He takes it. So it's so important to him. Yeah. No, it makes everybody feel really, really good about themselves. Do you help the kids when they're looking, do you get some of your older kids when they're looking for colleges, you help them with that search, you help them kind of think through that. Yeah, yeah, we take them through the process. You'd, you know, I might not reveal that to them, but you kind of know what their talent level is, whether it's a Division One level, Division Two, II, Division Three, NIIA, you know, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then you, you appropriately kind of like disseminate some of that information and break it down and go, hey, you know, would you be willing, you know, regionally, where would you go? You live in California, would you be willing to go to Connecticut to play golf kind of things? And you start to break things down that way. But I enjoy that process. Yeah, it's cool. I, you you had, you had the LPGA players out there when they were playing the uh, in Portland when they had all the smoke and all that stuff. And I know just watching them on social media, they loved it. But how do people find you? Or come out and get a lesson from you. Let us know uh, how they can get in contact with you. How they get in contact? Yeah, they can. They can Google. They can Google the golf farm really easy and get Amy's or my information. It's in Twelfth in Oregon. Yeah. By the way, the LPGA players. That's you. Your sister was quite a player. 
I was so enamored by all of them and how good the golf swings are. You know, the guys, they, you know, we all have this craziness to go hit the ball hard so we got different alignments. The girls, there must have been 30 or 40 of them that look so much identical right now. I mm-hmm. mean, just beautiful golf swings. Simple, and the ball doesn't curse. And, and they're 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 easy to talk with. Uh, to, they're they're appreciative of what they have, and they're a lot better than people really give them a lot of credit for. Uh, oh. it, it, it's tough out there because a lot of those gals that were in there with you went to school with my daughter Kathleen yeah. and some with Mary Linden, and I saw their social media, and and they were just oh, you they, did? they were so fired up to have a place that someone allowed them to do that. But they are they're fun to be around. They're fun to watch because you don't oh. realize how accurate they are with every club i mean they're hitting hybrids in there like we hit wedges and they don't think twice about it uh and they can flat play oh, go- oh yeah their golf swings are so beautiful but they swing with a little bit better rhythm you know it's like things are like synced up their arms and their torso and everything else seems just more in rhythm i was just incredible yeah one of the and things we- one of one of the things i think separates them is their short games uh and 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 they're yeah. getting that knowledge. They're learning more. They're finding short game teachers. But there's not a lot of people teach a short game. Everybody wants a beautiful golf swing, and I think that's <laughs> something we – I don't know why we do. We all want to go out there and practice what we're good at, but we got to kind of figure out the short game. And I, I think that's what separates them. Uh, their top 10, 15 players is short game putting, and it does that on the men's tour as well. Uh, but we appreciate you being with us. You've, you, you're really busy, um, and, and I appreciate you taking the time. And I kind of like to finish it up with this, whether in golf or life. You only have one shot, and you got to make it count, brother. You have made it count, and you're making it count for a lot of people out there, a lot of kids. Uh, let's keep in touch, and uh, I figured it'd be hard to get you because it's probably getting close to hunting season. Ah, hey, you're funny. Yeah, I'm leaving uh, Thursday. I'm taking my son. He's we're taking him on one of those. We're gonna have a wall tent, and we're gonna sleep on the ground things, and we're gonna go for a few days. So we're gonna go to a place called uh, Hell's Canyon, which is on the Snake River. So it'll be up in the mountains. Just me and my 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 son. Well, roughing it for oh me is the Holiday Inn Express, so that's about. <laughs> think I'm going to be sleeping in on any grounds unless I've fallen asleep for some reason. One of these days, I get to come out and do it with you. Yo, come on! We I figured when you kept winning Jackson, you were just going to move here. Uh, you know, be part of us, and you and VJ could teach all the people here to get better. But uh, have fun out there on that trip. We appreciate you being part of it, uh, and let's keep in touch. Okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks, for buddy. Having me.